Zeit ist in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Guten Abend an alle da draußen. Ihr hört Radio Winden, Winden's number one radio station since 1953. We're turning it over to the Dark Three, only on Radio Winden. Hi, welcome to Radio Winden. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hello. Hi. How's your day going? It's good. Thank you. How about you? It's also good. Um, I'm hanging out with you, so that's why it's yes. good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's just get right to it because yeah. we got a couple of wonderful emails about our science episode. I'm actually so excited. <gasps> yes. Sorry to just jump in, but I'm so excited mm -hmm. that we're doing this because I've been wondering, did anybody else freak out the same way that yeah. we did? Yeah. Because I feel like it was our craziest episode. And I'm so glad that we're reading these emails first because I know we've been trying to go back in time and try to catch up. And, and we will continue doing that after this one. But I'm, I'm, I'm just so glad. Please continue. Yeah, I think it's fun for us to hear the potential reactions that mm -hmm. you might have had. We, we have two emails today. So our first email comes from David. Hi, David. Hi, David. Hi, Dark Three. Is that your group nickname? Yes. I feel weird as a grown man writing what is, in essence, a fanboy letter. But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> coming from three grown women who run an entire <laughs> podcast that is essentially a fan uh, letter or, or fanboy letter. Uh, we're with you. <laughs> yeah, we're with you. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely not the ones to judge on this one. Yep. So mm -hmm. first, like anyone that listens to your podcast, Dark tickled my brain in just the right way. I watched it, immediately watched it again, this time making my wife watch it with me. Mm -hmm. I hardly watch any TV, so that is super unusual. When I went looking for more, since I would fall asleep every night envisioning the dark family trees, it all started with Egon. It may have been unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I found your podcast. It's so great. Here are the two things I appreciate most about your podcast. One is the transparency with which you speak about your own lives and trauma. I'm a big advocate for living transparency with all the good and bad in our lives. We learn so much more from each other that way. Yes, but boy, it's hard. Oh my God. Yeah. Oof. Yep. Here's a link to an amazing online art exhibit that you might appreciate that emphasizes the ways that social media can create a false sense of difference, especially for young women experiencing trauma. I think it is really powerful. Wait, what? Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah. OK, thank you. Oh, my God. I love the premise of this. Yeah. So the link will take you to a site that's called Girls Who Handle It from Patrick Ang. Mm -hmm. And basically the pitch is... The project Girls Who Handle It is a art exhibit where attendees will read stories and see photos of young women who are dealing with unbelievable difficulties. Oh, I heard about do this. do not ever know about. Did you? I did. Wow. So I have this thing where I, when I open up my browser, it has news or relative articles that might interest oh, right. you in your frequent pages and stuff like that. And that came up in one of the relevant articles was something about this. I, I vaguely remember this, this happening. Yeah, please continue. This is very interesting. Yeah. So it's read stories and see photos of young women who are dealing with unbelievable difficulties that most people do not ever know about and are managing these issues with remarkable resilience. The project is about increasing the level of public vulnerability and advocate for a community of honest sharing and acceptance among women, specifically in contrast to what is portrayed on their social media profiles. In doing so, girls who handle it as a platform where members of the community are provided with an opportunity to confront the pervasive norms of social media by directly addressing the issues these norms mandate that we hide. Oof. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Holy cow. So we're yeah. going to be linking to that in the show notes. So if you want to check that out, please do so. Also, you can just Google what I said, but, you know, two options. <laughs> 
Uh, back to David. Second, I like how much insider knowledge you bring to the podcast. I know nothing about creating, writing, producing, any kind of media, so all that experience you all bring is endlessly fascinating to me. I've been thinking about writing you an appreciation letter for a while, but never had a reason. I still don't, I guess, but I got hyped after the science episode. You all have tons of theories about the show, most of which I don't really buy, but that's not the point, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fine. They are interesting to think about and have insight in them. I would like to say that 100% I feel like we like to talk about theories because it's fun to talk about theories. Yeah. We're probably not right, but what's the fun in not (laughs) being right all the time? (laughs) I feel like we've also gotten feedback where I think people were struggling with the fact that we were reading into stuff too much or something like that. But like, that's the whole point of this podcast. We're just here to spitball crazy cool theories. Do we actually think that the writers, you know, had all this forethought and that it some of it wasn't like lucky timing or placement or, you know, no, but there are some things that are irrefutable, I think, like the color theory in the show, like they specifically went out of their way to do those things. So at least those things are kind of a for sure thing. But as far as like, each character theory? No, they're just theories, right? Do we have any evidence for it? I mean, yeah, we have evidence for it or, you know, against it. Sometimes we subscribe to the theory or we don't, but like, that's the whole fun. That's when you find a piece of art that is fun and has enough there for you to think about, like, oh, wouldn't this be a cool thought or wouldn't it be neat if this were canon? Yeah. I think that that's, that's magical. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I will grant that you all are much smarter than I am. So what do I know? I don't have any better ideas. I don't don't know about that. that. (laughs) (laughs) But Acorn's bomb about the timeline being Schrodinger's cat and all that, right or wrong, it is so beautiful and brilliant. I could not wipe the smile off my face for half an hour after listening to the show. Now that Acorn has officially won the podcast, what happens next? (laughs) Yep, exactly. I agree, dude. I agree. That is is how I fucking feel. Same. Uh, 100%. You broke yep. you broke the podcast. Now what do we do? Yeah, jeez. Oh you know? It's no topping it. No topping it. Dude, really. Well, just just watch us. We haven't even covered Tan House yet. Well, I mean, we did with with, with yeah. your bomb. That's <laughs> well, okay. it, man. Okay, fine. Uh, but like Claudia too. I don't know. We have some pretty big topics coming up. Dude, so we'll see. I'm so glad that we had that bomb before the Claudia episode yes. because I'm yeah, it changes too. my approach to Claudia, I think, in research. In that everything that she's done, she's always done. Oh, yeah. God, oh dude. God. I'm still, I'm still not over it. it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I also should mention that I was initially concerned about the science episode before listening. Because I am an astrophysicist. Oh, God. <gasps> My anxiety just fucking skyrocketed. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. Wait a minute. Astrophysicist says that we are smarter than... No. Excuse me. I literally can't. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Yeah. With respect. Get the fuck out of here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, with respect. Ultimate respect. Yeah. This is us being transparent with you. You, you've got some self-talk. We need to work on that. Yeah, yeah. there you go. There you go. Uh, sir, I am a cartoonist. <laughs> That's it. I am an astrophysicist. And while like you, I love how the show dealt with time travel, bracket, it has ruined all other time travel movies slash shows for yep. me. It's so good. Oh, totally. It's not exactly good science, right? I mean, there is no actual time travel right. for a reason. Right. But instead of trying to cram pseudoscience into the show and come up with lame sciencey ideas, you straight up killed it. 
It's not about the hard science. It's about the philosophy and ideas that can spring from it. Mm -hmm. The episode is just so perfect. I think I thought that after the Agnes episode too, but for real this time, so good. (laughs) Thank you. My heart. I was okay. Talk talking about transparency. I was super nervous yeah, going into that episode. I, I started my research like four weeks in advance because I was just wow, so, dude. Yeah, I was so nervous because, like I said in the episode, I'm an arts and humanities person. I'm yeah. I'm an English major, so the science and math world was always an area that I struggled in. So yeah, I'm I'm so thankful that it went over well. So thank you. I didn't say this after we wrapped that episode, but I just want to echo David's thoughts here in that I was also very happy that when you brought your um, research to the table, Acorn, that it wasn't filled with pseudoscience. And we we can't, you know, obviously there's no time travel for a reason, exactly uh, what he said. Mm-hmm. But what you brought up were, here is the actual science that they are using in the show. And here are these cool elements that we can look at. And then obviously it's cool science fiction fodder. Like it's cool stuff for us to then extrapolate that maybe potentially in some reality there could be time travel yeah yeah i i I also really appreciated that is basically all i wanted to say yeah and i mean it it shows in how the showrunners created the show because you're right it's like being able to talk about real concepts Mm -hmm. in the real world Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. adding an application to them in a fantasy setting Mm -hmm. it's like david said i think this is the best execution of that i've ever seen yeah totally All right. So then David said, I definitely look forward to the next show by the dark creators and I will absolutely hunt down the podcast you all do about it when the time comes. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Yeah, it's really great to hear. We really try to just have fun with the podcast, to be honest. It's just fun for us. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. This is our hobby. You know, we like to talk about this show and we're obsessed with it and it's all wonderful and good. We're we're each Charlie's in our own way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this email comes from Ken. We've read Ken's emails a few times, Ken! but I was really hi Ken. I was hi. really excited to receive this email because uh yeah, it's exciting. Are you ready? Yes. Ready. Hello, Dark Three. Hello. Hi Ken. Hi, Ken. I was so happy to see that you have found the truth at the core of dark. <gasps> Did you know, Ken? Have you known this whole time? <laughs> When you realized that the entire time loop could be seen as Schrodinger's cat inside the box and that it took an outside observer to take the possible futures and make one of them real, I nearly jumped for joy. Right? Dude. (laughs) I am going to try to unpack the reasons why the outside observer, the audience, is so important. It's a bit of a mind bender, so I hope that I can pull it off successfully. Let's go. Oh my God. I'm here. So I'm ready. Okay. There is a way to tie all of these themes in dark together. This is through the philosopher Schopenhauer. It is well known that Einstein and Schrodinger would turn to Schopenhauer's philosophy when they were feeling glum and read his world as will and representation multiple times. Nietzsche also started as a Schopenhauer disciple before he branched out and wrote his own philosophy. Well, that explains a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) He actually, Nietzsche was like, Schopenhauer's a bit intense for me, actually. (laughs) Which is... (laughs) Nietzsche was like, he looked at Schopenhauer and was like, Let's let's inject a little bit of joy into this. Let's like have a more positive spin on life. He did. Yeah, <laughs> which is hysterical. Why would Einstein and Schrodinger turn to the great pessimist when they were feeling blue? At first glance, one would think that the only possibilities are those embodied by Ulrich. Existence is endless striving. One can't find happiness because one is always striving for goals. 
when one reaches a goal, there can only be brief respite before realizing there is another goal past that, and then one is thrown back into the endless striving. <laughs> the only alternative would be to give up, but that only leads to boredom. Ulrich exists in one of these two states. There is the driven Ulrich, who is never really happy, we see through most of the show, and there is the Ulrich who gave up, who we see at the very end looking up at the clock. Adam puts it this way, People are peculiar creatures. All their actions are driven by desire, their characters forged by pain. As much as they might try to suppress the pain, to repress the desire, they cannot liberate themselves from eternal servitude to their feelings. As long as the storm rages within them, they can find no peace, not in life, not in death, and so they will do all that must be done. Pain is their ship, desire their compass, all that humankind is capable of. That doesn't sound like a recipe for happiness. Why would Einstein and Schrodinger want this for themselves? The answer is that Schopenhauer's philosophy is all about, okay, you live in the worst of all possible worlds. How do you find inner peace even then? The opening lines of the world as well in representation are, the world is my representation. This is a truth valid with reference to every living and knowing being. Through man, woman alone can bring it into reflective, abstract consciousness. It then becomes clear that certain to him or her that he or she does not know a sun and an earth, but only an eye that sees a sun, a hand that feels the earth, and that the world around him or her is only there as representation, in other words, only in reference to another thing, namely, that which represents, and this is him or herself. The second truth, which must be very serious and grave if not terrible to everyone, is that man slash woman can also say and must say, the world is my will. This statement allows for Einstein to imagine a world in which time and space are relative, or for Schrodinger to imagine a thought experiment where two superimposed states of reality can exist together till a conscious observer opens the box. That's wild. I just got that realization that because they were able to read that theory, they were able to think in this way, which allowed them to have mm. thoughts in the first place. Yeah, not theory, but philosophy. Schopenhauer reached the conclusion that in order to think at all, raw data coming in from the senses had to be processed via the concepts of time, space, and causality. Think of it this way. In order to turn raw data into a thought the mind has to organize the raw data into cubbyholes, if it did not, then the data would just be disorganized jumble on the floor. From this, he concluded that a human being is incapable of thinking at all without the concept of space, time, and causality hardwired in the brain. One cannot think of anything outside of it. Time, space, and causality exist in the mind, but not necessarily the world. Hmm. Schopenhauer then tried to figure out what this raw data would look like in and of itself outside of our hardwired concepts of them. He reached the conclusion that outside the framework which we ourselves erect in the mind, the thing itself would be a single point which contained all of time and space. Schopenhauer then tried to puzzle out if there could be another way to understand the thing in itself, if our senses cannot escape the framework of time, space, and causality, he decided that we also receive input from our emotions, which we feel and try to conceptualize but do not fully understand. These emotions drive us forward. We either try to get rid of painful emotions or increase pleasurable ones. No matter what we do, we can never accomplish this. We are therefore forever driven forward by these emotions we cannot control and cannot understand. This drive forward he called the will. As there is only one point in time and space, there is only one will. The will is the single thing in itself, which is all of space and time. So how does all this apply to the question of an observer to the Schrodinger's cat experiment? Well, let's start with the old saying, 
If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? For Schopenhauer, if there is no observer, then there are no individual objects and therefore no tree. Without an observer, there is only the thing in itself, which Schopenhauer calls the will, which is outside of time and space. Think of it as the matrix. Without an observer, there are only those numbers scrolling across the screen. Only when there is an observer present do the rows of numbers turn into a forest and a tree that fell. As one commentator put it, why are there individuals? Because time makes us that way. As soon as the thing in itself breaks up over time and space, it creates individuals and therefore conflict. Schopenhauer himself put it this way, and yet the existence of this whole world remains forever dependent on that first eye that opened, were it even that of an insect. For such an eye necessarily brings about knowledge, for which and in which alone the whole world is and without which it is not even conceivable. The world is entirely representation and as such requires the knowing subject as the supporter of its existence. This changes the dynamics of the situation. We are individual objects in time and space and therefore have no free will. We are, like the characters in Dark, forced along a single path we don't control. However, we have a dual nature. We are also the knowing subject. We are the will itself. As such, outside of time and space, we have absolute free will. The only reason we don't feel we have free will is that we already are what we will. It, this is ironic because I had a full-blown conversation about free will and determinism and stuff yesterday. Wow. <laughs> really? Oh my god. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Schopenhauer puts it thus. Simultaneously, he feels himself as individual as the feeble phenomenon of will, which the slightest touch of these forces can annihilate, helpless against powerful nature, dependent, abandoned to chance, a vanishing nothing in face of stupendous forces. And he also feels himself as the eternal, serene subject of knowing who has the condition of every object is the supporter of this whole world, the fearful struggle of nature being only his mental picture or representation. He himself is free from and foreign to all willing and all needs in the quiet comprehension of the ideas. This is the full impression of the sublime. If we lose ourselves in contemplation of the infinite greatness of the universe and space and time, meditate on the past millennia and on those to come, or if the heavens at night actually bring innumerable worlds before our eyes and so impress on our consciousness the immensity of the universe, we feel ourselves reduced to nothing. We feel ourselves as individuals, as living bodies, as transient phenomena of will, like drops in the ocean dwindling and dissolving into nothing. But against such a ghost of our own nothingness, against such a lying impossibility, there arises the immediate consciousness that all these worlds exist only in our representation, only as modifications of the external subject of pure knowing. Thus we find ourselves to be as soon as we forget individuality. It is the necessary conditional supporter of all worlds and of all periods of time. The vastness of the world, which previously disturbed our peace of mind, now rests within us. Our dependence on it is now annulled by its dependence on us. All this, however, does not come into reflection at once, but shows itself as a consciousness, merely felt, and that in some sense or another, made clear only by philosophy, we are one with the world, and are, therefore, not oppressed but exalted by its immensity. It is the felt consciousness of what the Upanishads of the Vedas express repeatedly in so many different ways, but mostly admirably in the saying already quoted, I am all this creation collectively, and besides me exists no other being. 
It is an exaltation beyond our own individuality, a feeling of the sublime. Just to be clear to readers, the last bit is a direct quote from Schopenhauer, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. This is back to Ken. Thus, it is fitting that we as observers are all important. Without us opening the box and observing them, there would be no individual characters populating the world of dark. There would just be the matrix, to use the metaphor from the movie. To put it another way, why are there individuals? Because time makes us that way. As soon as the thing in itself breaks up over time and space, it creates individuals and therefore conflict. The individual characters exist in dark, struggle, and suffer only because we observe them. The time loop itself was created and destroyed by our observation. Until we opened the box, there were only the numbers scrolling across the screen inside. In the terminology of science, there was a superimposed waveform. I hope I was able to make this make some sense. To fully explain this concept would take many hours. I tried my best to summarize it as succinctly as possible. It twists the mind, and it might take a while for the brain to successfully do the somersault. Anyway, I hope this helps your research, Ken. That was wonderful. I just want to add on to that in that um, it's not just observing, um, but that can also be taken and interpreted to mean experience. Like what makes us individual? Our unique experience, Mm -hmm. our unique observation of the world makes us individual. And it's not until we experience it that it has meaning or, you know, it is individual. So it's just very, very, very cool. Thank you, Ken. I think you did a great job articulating that. Me too. I think so too. Some of those passages were really beautiful in the way that I love to think about what life is and how experience is and existence and all that. So I love that a show on Netflix can make us have these conversations, make us think this way, make us ponder in the way that we're pondering. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, thanks to Acorn for blowing our goddamn Mm -hmm. minds. We got to change our, um, our nickname to the pondering three or the googling gaggle <laughs> yeah or acorn and her sidekicks actually yeah. is what i would like to God, stop. <laughs> no. sorry 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 <laughs> well we'll only tease you like this a little bit longer <laughs> but you will have to get used to it because i'm sure we will reference it in future podcasts as well oh my god acorn yeah. the destroyer of worlds yeah we'll be like, what do you got for us now acorn how are you gonna end this podcast oh boy So good. So those are our emails regarding our science and time travel episode from last week. It was Mm. a super wonderful time doing that episode. And it was really nice to read these two emails. So thank you again. Thank you for emailing us. That is our Radio Winden for today. If you would like to email us, you can do so at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at Radio Winden or individually. That's it. That's it. Yeah. We'll see you next next week for Claudia. Claudia. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into Radio Winden. See you next time.